chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. You guys can all grab a seat and I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thanks for this beautiful morning we have to gather to worship you in this way. I pray, God, that as we work through these 17 verses and we see your son Jesus come down off the mountain and enter into the valley and uh, just be with his people and go to these outsiders. I pray, Lord, that um, the good news would be preached clearly this morning. Be with me. Help my words to be clear. Uh, help your spirit to, to be present with us. I pray that you're opening ears and hearts to the truth of your word right now, God. If there are lies, that you would get rid of them. You would make them go away. We love you, Father. Thank you so much that uh, we can know that we're all considered outsiders at one point or another, and that you've brought us in by the power of your son, Jesus Christ, performing a wonderful sacrifice that we have not only been brought inside, but we are sons and daughters in the kingdom. Uh, May you be glorified today, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we get into our sermon, I just want to say, uh, today I had clear evidence that there is an enemy, because on a Sunday morning when I get to preach, Uh, I have a routine that I do where I go through my local wonderful Starbucks and I get my order, I make my mobile order and I go through and I pick it up. It's a a chonga bagel with cream cheese and Americano with a little bit of white mocha. It's delicious. It's a wonderful treat. I do it to treat myself, to to get myself jazzed and real excited to be like up here and jittering and stuff when I'm up preaching for you guys. It's really great. Uh, But this morning I go through, I I do my order, my normal automatic Sunday morning preach order and I go through and I get it and I get here and I'm all excited I sit down to pray and to like start drinking and eating of my delicious bagel. And I just have to tell you, it was the most horrible bagel and coffee experience I've had in a very long time. 
It was not good. I was really sad about it because I just love that little treat. My coffee had no coffee in it. It was like white mocha water, and it was sad. It was gross. And, uh, and then uh, my chonga bagel was stale, and I think the cream cheese had been like warmed up and then cooled down and then warmed up and cooled down again because it was a weird kind of sour today. I'm just saying, it was, it was funky. So I just want you guys to know, your pastor is being attacked by the enemy this morning. I'm not okay with it. But here's the thing. I prayed, and Jesus held me, and we dispelled some demons this morning because guess what happened? I made some of the best Chemex coffee I've ever made in the stinking Chemex because I'm not very good at it this morning. And I was like, praise the Lord for delicious Chemex coffee. And then I finished praying and I go out into our little kitchenette by our office and the Holy Spirit, I think, is the one who dropped off some donuts. And so whoever brought donuts, (laughs) praise the Lord. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit did it because I I had donuts this morning and I was just praising the Lord. I was like, you have redeemed this, this situation in my life, Lord. Thank you so much. So just some evidence that one, we have an enemy, but two, we have a great savior. Amen? Uh, all right, so let's preach this sermon this morning. Uh, so, Tabert Church, I'm excited. We're uh, transitioning into the next part of Matthew. Uh, we're going to be coming down off of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be following Jesus as he goes about about three years of ministry. And he's going to be engaging in people and interacting with people. And it's a really cool thing. Um, I just want to say, it's, it's like Matthew's painting this picture of we've been spending, we spent, do you guys realize we spent the whole last year hanging out with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? Because it's just so dense and there's so much to learn in it. There's so much to grow. It's like we were taking like, sometimes we were taking one verse at a time and just spending our whole morning uh, on that one verse because uh, there's just so much. It just shows the genius of Jesus and the intentionality of God to give us that sermon to help us to know what does it mean to be a kingdom person, to be a kingdom citizen. What is Jesus calling us to as his followers? And so, um, but what's cool is we've now finished that. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. What Jesus does is he goes from being the teaching king on the mount and immediately comes into the valley and is the servant king in the valley. Isn't that cool? And we're going to spend some time kind of rehashing this idea that this is what Jesus is doing is he's going to be living out the sermon on the mount. So not only did Jesus get up and teach us how we are to be as kingdom citizens, but he's actually going to be showing us. And so we're going to be spending some significant time. Thankfully, we're going to be doing some longer chunks of scripture. As you see today, there's 17 verses we're going through today. Um, And I have to say this too, as I've started studying this and looking through this, uh, Matthew masterfully crafted this to point out some beautiful truths about God, about who Jesus is and what he's doing here. And it's all to help point us to the goodness of God, the goodness of the good news of Jesus Christ, and how we are to follow in his footsteps as his church. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. My, my up front, what I want us to, to think about is, let's be the church that, yeah, we have to be the church that goes on the mountain and receives uh, the, the word from the Lord. But let's also be down in the valley with human beings applying his word. And that's kind of the transition we see happening here. And um, today's significant because I'm going to be focusing a lot on, like, let's keep in mind, this is the first thing our Lord Jesus does when he comes down off the mount. There's significance in that. There's something about that priority. Jesus has a priority. He has a plan. He has a mission. Uh, And so I titled my sermon today, Jesus Goes to the Outsider. Uh, Outsiders we're going to be looking at today are the unclean. We're going to be looking at the enemy. And we're going to be looking at the marginalized. Um, and my plan is, is, this is really fun for me, because 
these are some of my favorite kinds of sermons to preach because they're narrative in nature. So what that means is we've transitioned from wisdom literature, Jesus saying really, really smart things we have to sit and unpack. Uh, now we've switched over to where this is more narrative driven. This is like a story. Matthew has recorded the actions and the work of Jesus. And so uh, what I want to do today is my first point is going to be kind of just all encompassing the whole story. We're just going to kind of walk through and look at the beauty of our Savior going out and going to these outsiders. And then point two and three are going to be kind of like uh, on the end of this sermon to, to help us ask the questions, what do we learn about Jesus here? And what can we take away from this today? So that's my, that's my rough outline for where we're going today. But I want to spend a good significant time just walking through this narrative passage and seeing uh, the, the, the genius of Jesus and what he's got planned and what he's doing here. Okay? So let's kick it off. Uh, right off the bat, I'm going to read that first paragraph one more time. It says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So we get introduced to our first uh, outsider, a leper. And we see Jesus is coming down off the mountain. He's headed to his destination, uh, Capernaum, which is a little city that's about an hour's walk away from where they think he would have been teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And so as Jesus is headed to that city where he's going to go and hang out at Peter's house for the night, kick his feet up and rest is his plan, I think. Uh, he, uh, he's on his way there. A leper approaches him. So let's just start there and just kind of help us make sure we're all on the same page. What, what is a leper? Um, so a leper was someone who was uh, diagnosed with a type of skin disease that uh, they're unclear because there's like through history, uh, there's been different kinds of leprosy, but, but imagine it's a, it's a nasty skin disease that everyone was pretty terrified of because it made you look real rough, okay? It was like skin would be sloughing off. Uh, you would have patches of it to where your skin didn't want to stay on your body for whatever reason. And it was just some nasty stuff. Uh, what's significant about leprosy is that because of the nature of it, it was thought to be extremely contagious. Uh, Some uh, medical professionals and scientists actually believe that wasn't true. That was more just a perceived uh, notion of the the culture around them, that it was super contagious, but it actually wasn't. But uh, but leprosy was something that everyone made sure you stayed away from them, and they weren't allowed to enter normal society in any way or shape or form because it was impossible for them to become ritually or physically clean. And that was, a big, that was a big deciding factor for people in this day, was whether you were clean or unclean. Because you could do certain things to make sure that you proved your cleanliness, but someone like a leper was an, a complete outcast and outsider because it was impossible for them to do anything to make themselves clean enough to be able to enter into normal societal norms. And that's a huge bummer, Right? It's even, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy to think this leper even approached Jesus. This is actually really important for us, that right off the bat, this leper notices something unique about the person of Jesus. Because it would not have been acceptable for the leper to go up and do any form of begging or getting near any peoples trying to enter the city. 
Matter of fact, he would have been liable for potentially some sort of uh, discipline because of this action. But for something he sees that's unique about the person Jesus, tells him that he can go to this person and ask his question. And so I just, I just want us to like remember that, that Jesus is this, this, this man who's fully God, fully man, but he, he carried about him this level of love and approachability that was remarkable, so much so that this leper was willing to introduce himself to Jesus and then ask him this wonderful question. He says, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. I want to stop and just look at his statement because the statement is so respectful. It's so aware of who Jesus is that as soon as Jesus is coming down off the mountain, this leper, this outcast, this person who was not a part of normal society comes and humbly subjects himself to Jesus and first calls him Lord, showing a significance to his authority. He says, if you will, which recognizes his authority yet again and says, your, it's your choice, God. It's your will be done. And then it's you can. And the key word is can in that sentence. Even in the Greek, it's like, it's like highlighted. You can see it as like the main point of this part of the phrase. It's this idea that he knew, he had full assurance that Jesus was able and powerful enough to do what he was asking of him. Again, just pointing to us that Jesus was not, not just any normal person. There's a uniqueness and a beauty to who Jesus was that drew these people to him, that they knew he had authority, and they came to him as one who had authority, and they wanted to ask of him these things. Um, sometimes we get kind of caught up on this, and I think it's okay to craft our own prayers in a similar way. I mean, this is kind of like a little mirror of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus just taught about on the Sermon on the Mount. Can you kind of see it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil, right? You can see kind of the framework working here, almost like he's practicing that prayer for, his, for this Jesus who's now in front of him. Lord, if you will, you're... You can make me clean. And he comes to him faithfully, humbly. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that our focus is less on this wonderful outsider who has the boldness to come to Jesus and ask this question, but look at the love Jesus displays. Again, normally this would not have been acceptable. For Jesus to even just allow this guy in his presence at this level was not okay. But I think of these situations more like Jesus had divine appointments he was ready to engage in. Like he was coming down the mountain and he knew he had this appointment with this leper. He was ready to rock and roll and meet this guy um, because we're gonna see that there's a masterfully uh, systematic approach to how Jesus kind of deals with, how he handles the situation. But Jesus seems eager to help. What does it say? He says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And we see our Savior Jesus absolutely engage in him. But what I want to point out is this wonderful love that Jesus shows. Right up above that, I will be clean statement is, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, this is breaking through a societal and cultural barrier, if there is any example of that in scripture. This was not done. You did not touch the unclean at this level, especially someone as clearly unclean as a leper. And also think of it this way. 
outside of this leper's community of potentially other lepers, if he had a community of other lepers, this, this man had not been touched by someone in who knows how long. He had no ability to go and enter the temple and worship his God because he couldn't enter the temple because he was too unclean. He couldn't be cleansed enough. But Jesus, the God-man, touches the leper. I just think like, man, when I think about how that applies to us today, I think we, we go through similar levels of loneliness that I think this leper was going through. We, uh, we kind of craft for ourselves this idea of, of our groups online. <laughs> you know, it's like we're part of groups in all these different ways, but I think I'm seeing more and more the degradation of us to be able to just have real, honest, human-to-human contact and interactions with each other. It gets harder and harder, I think, because we're getting so stuck on our screens. And I think we're similar to lepers where sometimes we don't know how to have human interactions. And Jesus shows up and he touches this leper and he says, he has this very human, engaging interaction with this unclean outcast of a man. And it's just this picture and this demonstration of our God going to the one who's considered outside and showing a deep compassion for them. I say that's true of how Jesus interacts with all of us. Now, before we move on past this leper example, I just want to touch on that whole moment where Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Because I think sometimes we go like, what, what are you doing here, Jesus? Uh, like, why? And I, I just want to point out a couple reasons why Jesus would do this. Uh, he's not trying to be secretive. He's not trying to overthrow everything, but he kind of is. We'll talk about that. But he, um, what Jesus is doing is, first of all, he's being very humble. And the fact that uh, he is, his plan is not to just come in, and he said it in the Sermon on the Mount, but he says he's not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So you see Jesus showing a level of respect, love, and admiration for the law here by encouraging this leper to go and perform his act of worship, do his act of sacrifice, and be able to go into the temple. Now, here's the thing that's really cool. We can also think of this like Jesus was being very kind to this man. This would have been the first time this man, since his diagnosis of leprosy, would have been able to enter the temple at all. And here he was able to go and perform his act of sacrifice and worship of his God for the first time in the way that they would have known to do it at all. So there's an act of mercy there even where Jesus is like, go, go give your sacrifice, enter that place. You, you now, you're in, you're an insider now. Is kind of the way that Jesus is doing this. But he's also, Jesus is, is slowly uh, opening the door of the new covenant to come into reality. He doesn't come in and just kick down all, all of everything right away and just be like, the new covenant's here, I fulfilled it. Instead, it's like he respects the level of the law and he, um, as, he, as he kind of brings about his messianic claim into the world. Um, a commentator, uh, Frederick Gruner, says it this way. He says, uh, Jesus will not storm Israel with his messianic claim. He will knock quietly at its door, leper by leper, little by little. Another thing was that Jesus had a mission. And him becoming super duper popular with everyone who might be sick or demon possessed or uh, demonized is a better way to say that is going to actually get in the way of his plan a little bit because it's going to make him very popular to where he's going to have a whole lot of people around him all of the time. Uh, What's fun as well to, to note is that Mark chapter one actually gives us a little bit more of this story with the leper. It actually talks about how the leper goes out and tells everybody, he disobeys Jesus, and he tells everybody about the, clean, the, clean, the, the, the miracle. And then uh, that actually, it, Mark notes in his, uh, his gospel 
that uh, it actually causes Jesus to not be able to enter towns anymore. <laughs> so it's like Jesus is like, dang it, I didn't want that to happen, but here we go anyways, because this man disobeys him, because he's so excited about the wonderful miracle that Jesus has done for him. Um, so, there, so those are some of the reasons why Jesus sometimes says that. We'll see that a couple times where Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody, hey, don't tell anybody. That's typically the reason why, because he's slowly transitioning from old covenant of having to obey the law but not being able to, so then only God is upholding his end of the covenant, and we're not able to uphold our end of the covenant. But then as Jesus comes in, he makes it to where God upholds his end of the covenant, and God also upholds our end of the covenant through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so that transition is happening as Jesus is here on earth, and he's just slowly entering into that new reality. Okay, let's keep going. So the centurion, uh, let's read this whole uh, part of the story as well. It says, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Okay. So then we see Jesus. He's now come down the mountain. He's made the hour-long walk down from where the Sermon on the Mount was taking place into the city of Capernaum, and immediately a centurion comes up to him. Now, we have to ask the question, okay, what's a centurion? We don't have those in our day and age, but a centurion would have been a Gentile, likely Roman officer who was a commander over 100 foot soldiers. The word centurion means 100. He's a commander over 100 foot soldiers. So that's what he, that's what he was doing. Because we, we need to know that... Uh, all of the, what was considered the Holy Land, right, Jerusalem, all around Galilee, the whole section that most of Scripture takes place was under Roman rule. Alexander the Great had already happened, and all of this section of land was taken over by the Romans. And so they were occupying all these different towns by having uh, centurions and their foot soldiers in these places living and maintaining order and enforcing Roman law. Does that all make sense? And so that's happening during this time. So just to point out, to make sure we understand, a centurion would have been considered an enemy to any Jewish man or people there because they would have been the oppressive enemy that was amongst them. It's similar to our founding fathers not being very happy about the British being here. They wanted them to go away. So they, were, they would get around and talk about it and be like, how can we rebel? If any of you like the musical Hamilton, it's what it's all about, right? Imagine that kind of angst that Hamilton and his friends have. That's kind of how typically the Jewish man or woman would have felt about the Roman oppression, okay? And so, uh, so the centurion comes to Jesus. Again, something unique about the person of Jesus that a centurion, this Gentile man, would have approached him because this guy would have been viewed the enemy and Jesus would have been viewed the enemy of the centurion. But there's something about Jesus, well, the centurion comes up to Jesus, and he 
mentions this. He says, Lord, another act of authority, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So that's all he says to Jesus. And Jesus immediately says, I will come and heal him. Uh, I love this. The guy doesn't even get to get his question out before Jesus seems eager and excited to go and show love and compassion to the enemy of his people. I just think that's so good for us to recognize this is Jesus performing or living out what it means to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the other thing I want to point out here is that the word servant can be a little misleading. Um, because typically in the New Testament, the, word, uh, the Greek word doulos is the word that you use for like a generic servant or anytime the word slave is even used in the New Testament, it's the word doulos usually. It's just the generic, that's the word for servant or slave. Uh, here, when he's talking about this servant who is paralyzed, he uses a, a more intimate word that's pais, which uh, leads us to believe and also just the way that it's in his home. Uh, this is probably more likely his son that is paralyzed and suffering terribly. So um, the rest of the time, that's definitely the take I take from all the reading I was doing on this. This is more likely his son. Some of your translations actually say son instead of servant. Um, and I like that a little bit more because I think that that's a little bit more of what's going on here. Um, just even for the fact that if the statistics of having 100 soldiers under your command and having only one of them be ill at this level or whatever is just a little less likely, and if they're in his home, it's a little less likely. So I really believe that this is his son who he's talking about who is paralyzed and suffering terribly. Okay. Um, the other thing I want to point out here is that notice that it's the centurion who's asking for the healing of someone else. This is a good opportunity for us to be thankful for what we call intercessory prayer. When we, we go and pray on behalf of those that are in our lives that we love and we want to see helped by the Lord. Intercessory prayer is good, and here's a great example of the centurion coming to Jesus, asking something of Jesus, and Jesus performing the act, not on the person who is here demonstrating the faith and doing the asking, but on the person that they're asking for. It's good for us, church, to be praying for one another. Okay? Anyways, uh, so here's what we see, is that uh, he says, Lord, I'm not worthy, or no, sorry, go back up. He says, Lord, my servant is, par is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Like, Jesus shows a unique eagerness to help. He demonstrates an absolute eagerness to help. The, the centurion doesn't get a chance to even ask the question he doesn't get a chance to even say what he's, gonna, what he's hoping the Lord will do in this situation, what he hopes that Jesus is going to do. Instead, Jesus seems excited for this opportunity to help his enemy. Man, that's tough for us to think through, right? How many of us are super duper excited to go help our enemy right now? Right? But Jesus seems eager here. So eager, the centurion then has to tell Jesus how to perform the healing. Says, whoa, 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 Lord, you're not, you're, you're, it's not even, I'm not worthy enough for you even for you to enter under my roof. Like, what are you thinking? I'm a Gentile. You don't have to go into my home. And then the centurion displays an understanding of Jesus' authority that's pretty amazing. That he he recognizes that uh, he he associates, again, this Gentile not Jewish person who would not have been waiting for a Messiah recognizes a level of authority in Jesus that's marvelous, that's amazing. That he says, you have authority like I have authority and I can tell my men to go do things and they go do the things. 
I know that you can say this and it will be done. And that, like, that level of faith that he displays here, uh, it's pretty incredible, so incredible that our Lord Jesus marvels. Does that make everyone uncomfortable? It makes me a little uncomfortable to know that my Savior Jesus marveled at things. I think sometimes I believe this reality that Jesus is kind of like stoic and somber and he just kind of knows everything. Like he's that guy. Like sometimes I I make this really uh, sad impression of Jesus in my head. I believe this lie about Jesus that he's kind of that guy that knows everything so you can't tell anything to him, right? But I love that we see this beautiful part of Jesus' humanity here where he's not just a know-it-all. Instead, he's sitting here being like, he's marveling at what his father is doing amongst them. And he's marveling at the faith of this Gentile person who gets it. The centurion gets it. And Jesus goes, whoa, heavenly father, look at what's already happening. He gets it. And then Jesus goes on to talk about this whole situation where those who think they're inheriting it might not be getting it. But those that are far off, who actually want a rescuer and a Messiah to show up, they're going to get it. Does that make sense? That's kind of the point Jesus is making. Is he's saying, uh, he's, he's really, this is the beginning of Jesus sort, sort of starting his battle with the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the time who just kind of sat back and mocked Jesus and felt like he was doing it all wrong. And that uh, you, you, had to, you had to do the right thing or say the right thing or be good enough and elevate yourself to this important religious status so you were good enough. He's beginning the process of pointing out that there are some who would be considered sons of the kingdom who just assume, think they're supposed to be in, are in fact going to find themselves in a tough situation. He, he describes hell for a second here. He says, outer darkness where there would be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a huge that's a huge statement for Jesus to point out. And yet there will be those from the east and the west. So he's saying those that are far off, who are actually wanting to be rescued, are going to find their rescue in Jesus. And he's just pointing out that, um, one, I want to make this point. Jesus is not saying this to the centurion. There's a moment here where it makes it clear that he turns back to his disciples and he t- he's talking to his followers, Okay? He says, um, and he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel. So he's not speaking anymore to this centurion. He's now, he's now teaching the church in a sense. He's, he's telling us the church and he's talking about uh, this idea of who's supposed to be in and who in reality is going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And he's teaching this to the church. That's one thing I think is really important is Jesus always preaches hell to the church and not to the pagan. Yeah, sometimes we think it's our job to preach hell to the pagan, and it's just, it's just no good. Instead, Jesus goes to the outsider with an eager desire to help and to love the outsider. And so, um, but what Jesus is doing is he's, he's helping us, the church, to stop, to ask ourselves the hard questions. Do I just sit back and do the right things so that I can just inherit my wonderful mansion in heaven someday, or however we we kind of formulate that thought in our head? Or do we have a hunger and a thirst for a Savior, Jesus Christ, and a relationship with our Creator God in such a way that we want to see this world and know who He is and be on mission with Him, living out the Sermon on the Mount just as Jesus lives out the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so so that's, that's the question we, church, need to ask ourselves. We need to quit preaching hell to pagans. That, like, who cares? Like, let's preach hell to ourselves and let's listen to the words of Jesus and ask ourselves, do we think we're just gonna get in on our merits? 
Or do we actually have a hunger for a Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And so, um, so I just, I, I want us to see that part in the story, and that's the reason why Jesus turns back to his disciples. I actually would venture to bet that this is a conversation, this little part of the paragraph is a conversation that happened at a different time than this moment. I don't think he necessarily like, turned away from the centurion and was like, let me teach you guys this, and then he turned back to the centurion and was like, all right, now they're healed, you know? He may have, that may very well be how it's done, but uh, I, I do think that Jesus is speaking to his followers, which his followers represent the church in so many of these situations, Okay. But then Jesus finished it off by healing the son um, miraculously just by saying that it needed to be done. And we see Jesus uh, go to this outsider who would have been his enemy and have an eagerness to help him, which I think is incredible. And then the last scenario where uh, we, they finally reach their destination at Peter's house, and it says this, uh, picking up at verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. Um, I'll stop there for now, but so what we see is Jesus has now reached Peter's home. He's hanging out. I'm sure there's lots, lots of wonderful food smells in the air. They're like cooking probably a big old feast because they're probably entertaining a whole lot of people, all the people that have been following Jesus and their families and everyone else. And so that's all happening. Imagine a big old bustling, like you just got done with the conference and now you're having the big after party afterwards because we were all just up to the Sermon on the Mount and now they've entered Peter's home and everyone's like, oh my gosh, that was good. And they're all having like big theological debates about uh, what Jesus meant when he said, love your enemy or when he said like poor in spirit or when he talked about well, all those beatitudes or when he talked about salt and light. And you can imagine like just conversation happening like crazy. And then you just see our savior Jesus take notice of Peter's mother-in-law. Peter was married. Does that kind of like make us feel weird sometimes? Historically, that should make us feel weird because we kind of pretend like Peter's not a married person. These were real people with real lives and real families. It's just good to know that. But his mother-in-law is not there helping do the things that the women typically did by getting all the stuff ready and everything. And Jesus clearly takes notice because he goes to her and recognizes she has a fever. He touches her hand. He breaks through this societal norm, goes to this woman, heals her, and then she's able to get up and then join in on the serving. Which, I don't know about you, but when my fever finally breaks, I'm not ready to do anything for like three more days. I am a bit of a baby when I'm sick, but no, I just like, I like, all the women in here are like, shut up, we know, we know, we get right back up and get back to it. But uh, all you guys, you get what I'm feeling, right? But, um, but uh, uh, no, I, that's what I think of right away is like, she got right back up and just started serving and, and taking part in that because she wanted to. And, uh, and Jesus does this. Here's what, one thing I want to point out that's significant about this account is there was no asking. I think Matthew does this very intentionally. Like, there's no record of her asking to be healed. There's no record of Peter asking for her to be healed. And this is why I think this is really important. Because a lot of times we come to these scenarios with Jesus and we get really individualistic about it where we kind of make it about us, like we're the point of this. And so we start kind of getting... Um, works-based almost with this by asking ourselves, how can I have the right kind of faith like the leper? How can I have the right kind of faith like the centurion? Or how can I have the right kind of faith like Peter's mother-in-law? And I don't believe that's the main point of what Matthew is trying to get done here. I think what Matthew, and, and I don't think, I, I know what Matthew's doing here is he is making, helping us to look at our Savior Jesus and learn something about him, Right? 
This is less about the special incantation or the special prayer or being good enough to get help from our Savior God. It's that we can recognize that our Savior wants to go to the outsider and he's eager to help them because that's what he wants to do because he is a rescuer and a Savior. That's who he is. And that's what he's doing here over and over and over again. And he's doing it very systematically. And so um, what I want to look at too is the, this, this last little section. It says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah 53 that it's quoting. Uh, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Um, I just want to point out, I am fairly confident that Jesus was just planning on resting. He just had a long day. Uh, here's a little insight to my life. When I get the opportunity to get up and preach, I, I get up and preach, and I have about one more hour where I pretend like I'm still alive, and then I go home and crash hard because I just am so exhausted. But our Savior Jesus just preached the greatest sermon of all time, took a hike back into the city, healed a couple people on his way in, gets to the home, continues serving and healing people, his, Peter's mother-in-law, and then, because that stinking leper went out and told everybody about how awesome Jesus was, a bunch of people show up at the house and want healed now. Isn't that awesome? And so Jesus, out of his love and compassion and eagerness to help us, to help the outsider, he goes out there and until evening and into the night, he's healing people. That's the love and the majesty and the goodness of our Savior, Jesus, right? And so, uh, so we see those. Those are typically called the sunset healings, where Jesus had compassion and continued healing people. You'll see him do that over and over and over again. He'll be humanly exhausted and continue to get up and serve people because our Savior is amazing, okay? So uh, that's, that's our big, long narrative today. So what I want to do is I want to ask her some, uh, some more questions and just say, what do we learn about this Savior, Jesus? And I really want to point some of these things out to you. So my second point that I put up was just that Jesus is eager to help the outsider. I've said that many a times already because that's intentional. Because in my opinion, that I think that this is Matthew's main point when he points out these three healings, is that Jesus is more eager to help than we realize. And he's particularly eager to help the outsiders. Um, his whole plan is he's going to move beyond religious, racial, and sexual barriers and walls to help those who are perceived respectively as unclean, unworthy, and unequal. That's what Jesus is doing here. He is showing the kingdom come on earth now in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's showing it's not how maybe we might have expected. He's showing that it's not, he's not trying to go to the, to the ones who will be the loudest or make the biggest noise. What he's doing is he's going to the outsider and systematically bringing the kingdom into their lives and he's breaking down barriers and again, what I want to say is that this is less about being able to say the right thing or do the right thing or speak the special prayer so that we have enough faith in order to be healed or rescued or have the person healed in our life. It's more that, yes, we are called to humbly submit ourselves to Jesus. Yes, we're supposed to live what it says in the Lord's Prayer. But um, I have this quote that's been really helpful as I've been working through this. It says that it is, um, it's by uh, Bruner again, and it says, it is not the worthiness of the approach that determines the measure of help. It is the worthiness of the Lord approached. And I think the big call out here is how often is Jesus our last resort? 
Oftentimes when we need help, when we start feeling the burden of life, usually we kind of just like, we have the whole idea of like, well, tighten up your bootstraps and get, get at it. Keep going, press on, dig in. You can do this all by yourself. And we oftentimes, we go into things and we, we, we leave the help of Jesus off till sometimes the last moment until we're finally like fed up enough that we finally throw our hands up and say, Jesus, I need your help. I can't do this anymore. But our Savior Jesus is eager to help those who are outsiders. He's eager to help. He's excited to go and help the, the unclean leper. He's excited to help the um, centurion who would have been an enemy of his people. He's excited to break down the gender norms of healing the woman. And so we see that happen. And then my last point I just want to point out is that Jesus is the great wall breaker. He breaks down the walls of hostility between God and the outsider. Um, So one thing that's helpful to see, and it's just it's the masterful work of Jesus's work here, it's also very intentional the way Matthew, he, he, tells, he tells the account for the leper and then the centurion and then the, the woman, okay? It helps us to understand the temple's layout a little bit. So in the temple, the very, very center of the temple, you have the Holy of Holies, okay? It's a little partition inside of the, 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 the holy place. You have the Holy of Holies, which was, was thought of to be the place, the dwelling place of God. That's where God resided, and only one person could go in there once a year. That was it. Then you have the Holy Place, which was also restrictive, but not quite as restrictive as uh, the Holy of Holies. Then outside of that, you had the, the courtyard of the priests, where all the sacrifice and all those things happened, okay? And then you go one more layer out of the temple, and you had what they commonly called the Court of Women, okay? This was basically as far as a woman could go inside of the dwelling place of God. That was as close as they could get to the place where God dwelt, was inside the court of women. And they still have to go through all the ritual practices to make sure they were clean and all those sorts of things. You go out one more layer, and you have the court of the Gentiles. This place where, uh, where someone, a Gentile who had been a partial convert to Judaism could have gone if they would have performed the proper ritualistic practices and been able to go as far as the court of the Gentiles. They still couldn't go as far as the women, but they could go as far as this court was. And then you had the outer wall where only the clean could come inside who had been ritualistically clean. So the unclean were kept outside of those walls. So walking back through our story, I wanted to say this quote um, real quick as we think through this, that Jesus breaks down the outer wall, letting in the leper. Then he breaks down the wall of the court of Gentiles, letting in the centurion. And now he breaks down the wall of the court of the women, letting in the women. At the cross, he will split the veil of the holy of holies, letting in everyone. Jesus is the great wall breaker. His examples are the, one, are the ones physically excluded, one's racially excluded, and the one's sexually excluded from the innermost worship of the community. These Jesus heals first. Amen? Like, isn't that cool to think, like, this is the systematic work that Matthew is putting in here on record for us is to see that Jesus is here breaking down the walls that divide us from our good and amazing God. 
We have no way to get to God because there are walls up, and the temple was a representation of that to the people. But Jesus systematically is taking down that outer wall, he's taking down that wall of the Gentiles, and he's taking down that court of the women because Jesus is making all things new in the new kingdom of heaven. Amen? Like, like I just think this is the gospel, church. This is the truth. Um, let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Paul says it masterfully here. Um, he says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the, his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Isn't that good? That is good news, church, because every single one of us we're outsiders prior to the good work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Every one of us. But Jesus breaks down the walls. He is the great wall breaker for people to be able to be with a holy God. That should, that should get us excited. That should get us, get us jazzed to know that we are called to so much more than, than just... Um, believing the lies like we're not good enough, the whole problem is, is like we're not good enough. We're not the point. It's not about how good we do. or what. It's about our Savior Jesus breaking down those walls for us and, making, and ushering in the kingdom of heaven for us. This is the, the king in the valley coming to live out the Sermon on the Mount, bringing the kingdom with him. It's this moment in history where uh, we see our Savior ushering in the kingdom in this new way for the people. So I just want to finish up today by just asking a couple questions of ourselves. Like, how does this shape us? How does this transform us? What does this do for us? I just want to be reminded that every single one of us were once outsiders. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, not only have you become an insider, but you've become part of the family. You're a son and daughter in the kingdom. Every single one of us have been just like the leper the centurion, or the, the, the mother-in-law, where it's felt unequal. It's felt like society stacked against us. It's felt like it's impossible because it was impossible for us to be with God. But now because of Jesus Christ, that wall has been broken down and we can be with our Savior God forever, okay? The other thing I want to point out is that uh, it's really important as we work through these situations, Jesus brings his followers with him, his disciples with him. Part of what he's doing is he's bringing them with him not only to show his majesty, but also example to what the church is to look like and to be like. And so we get to take kind of this, we get to take the perspective oftentimes, Tapper Church, as the disciples, going, okay, this is how Jesus did it. Okay, this is the example that Jesus has for us. This is what this looks like. This is what our mission looks like, and this is how we're to do it. A matter of fact, we're going to see a little bit later on in Matthew, we're going to get here, but... Uh, Jesus is going to send out the 12 to do the very things he's been doing. And that's a picture for us, church, to know that this is the example for us. And here's the thing. I would like for us not to be so individualistic about this, um, but let's take a moment to be corporate about this. Taproot Church, who are the outsiders in our community? Taproot Church, who are the outsiders in our circles, in our culture? Who are they? 
Because I believe those are the places where it would be good for us to highlight and to go as our Savior has gone. And go into those places and love those people well. That we would, we would be able to know that because of what Jesus has done, we can bring the kingdom with us as well into those places where those people feel like they're outsiders as well. In our culture, I think just a good way to sum it up, it's typically someone who, licks, who looks and thinks differently than you do. Right? Someone who looks and thinks differently than you do. That's oftentimes the people that we probably just put in the margins of our lives. We kind of just see on the peripheries and let them be where they're at. It's typically, it's, it's the way the Republican thinks of the Democrat or the Democrat thinks of the Republican. Those are probably the enemy example. We have lots of racial examples. We have lots of religious examples. We, we think of the, the unbelievers as religiously unclean a lot of times. Sometimes we think of the super believers, like our Mormon brothers and sisters out there, right? Like we think of them as religiously unclean, and so we just kind of have nothing to do with them. But what does it look like to bring the truth of Jesus Christ into any circle that Jesus would have us? It looks like knocking on our neighbor's doors. It looks like going to the thing where we can help people just to help people. A lot of what we learned today is that Jesus cares about our physical well-being and he cares about our, our, our social well-being. Like just the leper is a great example of that. Not only was he physically better off, but socially his standing went up immensely because of the work that Jesus did in his life. Jesus cares about these things, so it's good for us to just help people. Matter of fact, I'm excited because uh, starting this Monday and some, a bunch of consecutive Mondays, we have an opportunity to hand out food boxes and join Twin Falls Community Church they're going to be handing out food boxes, uh, and there's stuff that, about that in your guys' bulletin. That's an opportunity for us to join with our sister church and go out and just serve people and offer them food on a Monday morning. Um, I think that's exciting. That's a way that we can be like this to help outsiders, potentially. There's, there's plenty of other things. We're going to have an angel tree pretty soon in the connect room, and that's an opportunity for us to ask ourselves uh, can we take on a family this season and bless them immensely so that they can have gifts under their trees? It's just these cool ways that, that we're already interacting and loving outsiders in our community, and I think we can continue to do so, and we can be like Jesus, carrying the goodness of his grace and his goodness into the outsider places that are amongst us. Um, and so I'm just really, really thankful today that um, our Savior is the great wall breaker. I'm thankful for that personally because I know that he has broken through many walls to come and come to me, eager to help me, eager to, to heal me, to regenerate me, to transform me. And I know many of you have similar stories in here today. And let's not just sit on that, but let's get excited about the work that Jesus can do in and through us as a church. All right, will you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you so much that uh, we can look at this passage and we can be excited to see the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of your kingdom entering into the world and see this. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to ask ourselves, where could we go? As former outsiders, now made sons and daughters in the kingdom, where could you send us to love the outsider as well? Who are those that believe the lies like they're not good enough or they've done too much bad or too much wrong? And, and how can we help them to know that um, you have a deep compassion for humanity, for your people? Help us to go 
on your behalf and love people. I pray that this message would also just reach deeply into all those here that are listening, that we would know that we once were far off, but you've broken down that wall of hostility, and we can just be in awe of our Savior Jesus this morning and worship him um, in word and in song and as we take communion together. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing us. Thank you for indwelling us with your Holy Spirit. Um, Pray that we can know you and make you known. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.